0: Game over! Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all! So say we all! And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. Walt Disney's classic Song of the South is back. thing is satisfaction. Zippity-doo-dah Zippity-ay My oh my What a wonderful day Plenty of sunshine In my way Zippity-doo-dah Zippity-ay Zippity-doo-dah Zippity-ay My oh my What a wonderful day Walt Disney's Song of the South My oh my what a wonderful movie. The year is twenty twenty, the number another summer gets down. Sound of another fucking drummer. Music Hi everybody and welcome once again to Geek Fest France. My name is Carlos Peron, and today we are going to take a look at a couple of films that are kinda very appropriate right now to look at. One of them is Song of the South, the other one is Do the Right Thing. I don't think I have to explain much why we're hitting these two films today. Very appropriate at the time. Two perceived or depicted points of view in what has been happening here for, dare I say, hundreds of years, and it seems to be culminating, especially over the last month, since the murder of George Floyd. So let's just get started. the 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 power the What did I teach you? You are the Duke of New York. you are a number one. You will not laugh. You will not cry you will learn by the numbers i will teach you can you dig it? open the pod bay doors Hal. i'm sorry dave i'm afraid i can't do that That horn of satan <laughs> oh really the force will be with you always All right, let's get started with our first film, and that is Song of the South. Well, given the current events, I figured this would be an appropriate time to finally tackle on this particular film. I normally don't try to do too many shows that are concurrent with events. Like, for example, if if all of a sudden on the internet you see a lot of pieces having to do with a certain topic, I try to not do that thing. I'd rather jump on a topic later when it's unexpected. Because, you know, you don't want to get a clut of the same topic and then having to fight your way amongst a thousand other versions of that topic. But this is one that, again, given the current events, especially what happened last month from Memorial Day up until now, you know, things are changing and they're on the racial fronts, if you will, of society. And this is a, a movie that is wrapped in controversy having to do with race. Now, let me give you a little bit of my particular history with this film. Before my son was born, so we're talking about, oh my goodness, 21 years ago, 22 years ago, something like that, I started collecting and gathering and copying and getting my hands on as many Disney and children's films as possible, being a a film, movie, TV nut, as I am, uh, I guess that is my version of preparing for parenthood. <laughs> and I remember that, yeah, I mean, I, I I already owned a lot of films. I owned a lot of them on video. I owned a lot of them on DVD. I owned a lot of films on laserdisc. But in order to get as many Disney films as possible, and with the problem, I remember with Disney films was that because these films will go, if you guys remember. They're in the vault, and they're back in the vault. In other words, you would be able to buy them for a set amount of time, and then they would kind of disappear for a while, and then they would come out again. Usually what ended up happening, I think, was that whenever a new format would arrive, that's when you would get a chance to all of a sudden repurchase them. But you could go, you know, five years or more without there being more copies of, let's say, VHS copies of whatever film you're specifically looking at. Also, because I was somewhat of a film snob back then. I think I'm still somewhat of a film snob in terms of I fell into the letterbox pool of film viewers. You know, once I realized that there was actually more content that we weren't used to seeing because of the f- aspect ratio, I would chase down these films that were at a wider, you know, a, at a bigger aspect ratio because I wanted to see the full picture. So, one way of doing that was to be, was to rent some of these uh, Disney films on LaserDisc, because again, this is back then when I was still in, towards the end of my Laserdisc craze, and I was able to copy them, because uh, I believe if I remember right, Laserdiscs were a lot easier to copy than DVDs. With VHSs, I remember you had the issue of, you know, the copy protection and stuff like that, where... In order to bypass it, you needed another device that would stabilize the image. You know, what was it called? I think it was called a TBC, a time-based corrector. We used to have that in school, I remember, and then I bought my own consumer version of a time-based corrector that would automatically adjust any VHS tape as you were copying it into a secondary tape. Well, with Laserdiscs, I believe, if I remember right, that wasn't necessary. You can go straight from laser to VHS and I don't remember if I even used the time-based corrector because the time-based corrector not only stabilizes the image, which that's not the main purpose. I mean, stabilizing the image was a great thing to do, but you could also tweak the colors. You could make it a little brighter, a little darker, you know, the contrast, all that, the hue, you can mess with it a little bit. I used to love that little device. I don't think I, I think I threw it out and eventually threw it out and got rid of it. But what ended up happening was I ended up with a collection of Just about every single Disney movie and, you know, the the insane collector that I am, then I moved on to, like, DreamWorks or any other animated classic-ish film of the time. And as my kids got older and of age, because, you know, obviously you can't show a newborn baby (laughs) movies, but as they got to the age of understanding movies, you know, I started showing them these movies. However, the thing that happened is, as new formats came along especially with DVD, I started buying these versions of what I already had copied. So, you know, Snow White, Peter Pan, whatever, you know, you buy the new version of it, and it comes with so many extras that you never had on the Laserdisc, at least. So, little by little, my VHS-copied collection of children's animated films, let's say, started to dwindle. On the VHS copied side, little by little, these, I started throwing them out in the garbage because there was no point. I already had a DVD version. And then later on, Blu-ray. I had Blu-ray versions. So, you know, I remember I had a huge box, a huge box. And I labeled them all. And I, I made my own labels. And I had my own cover, special plastic covers for them. And that box, little by little, they were, you know, after, after a number of years, there were only maybe two or three films left in that box when I started out with, I don't know, 30 or 40 of them. And there has always been a film in that box (laughs) that has never disappeared. And that is Song of the South. Now, when I copied Song of the South, it came from, I believe, if I remember right, a Japanese Laserdisc. But obviously, when I play it, you know, when I copied it, it was without the the American subtitles or the Japanese subtitles or the Chinese subtitles, whatever subtitles you could access. I took them off. So this way, you could just watch the movie directly. You know, without it looking as if it's a foreign version of the film. I'd done something like that in the past, I remember, when I got a copy of, I think it was Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction wasn't available right away on home video, I think. And the only copy available at that particular time, again, was a Japanese, you know, letterbox, beautiful version. And I remember I had copied that, and that's what I was, you know, watching at home. And that's until again, until the official version came out, and then, boom, got rid of all that stuff. Don't need it anymore. Well, Song of the South has been in that box forever, and it's one of these films that you know you you keep hearing about it, and there's always a all you know about it is that it's a, it does, there's some singing and there's some animation, and it has to do with the post Civil War era uh, time frame, but there is some kind of controversy on this film uh, having to do with the way that African Americans, blacks, are portrayed or were portrayed. So it's the type of thing that I never really got around to do it. I never got around to watching it. And once again, now, based on what's happened lately, you know, we are learning so much about through the news of events that happened and what triggers these things and how uneven justice could be. But for me, another way of learning about it is to try to find films that can kind of portray that whole thing. I mean, I remember before this happened, before this event, the George Floyd murder, my son and I were watching Watchmen because we were all excited. Hey, Watchmen, hey, you know, the, 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 we read the comic. We kind of liked the movie, you know, know a lot of people didn't like it. We kind of like, oh, wow, that's pretty good. That's pretty interesting what they did. Oh, they're going to make a series. Oh my God, they're going to make a series. And so they, we're sitting there watching the first episode, and it's the whole Tulsa massacre, and we're like, "What the hell is this?" I mean, like, we were like, "Is this what? What? What's, what's going on here? What? What is this? i never heard of this. I've never seen this. I've never, I don't remember hearing about it in school. You know, I." I came to the States in 79, so I was, I think, fourth grade. I started here in fourth grade. So I can't remember fourth, fifth, sixth grade. I don't remember high school, anyone talking about this. I don't remember in college anyone talking about this. So I was like, what the hell is this? And it just completely blew us away, the fact that this was a real event. And how this event, now, a couple months later, comes back into the news as a historical event that is about to be politicized and exploited and remembered and and taught to people for the first time it's really really bizarre so I'm like you know what I I've been hearing so many weird things about this movie and and whether or not it's you know is you know with Disney plus for example you know all the Disney library is going to be dumped in Disney plus but there are certain things they're not going to put out there anyway And this is one of those things. They said the Song of the South is not going to be included in that collection. Now, what's interesting is also that even though the movie was completely removed, not from history, but from being able to be promoted or played in any fashion, the film was still available in other formats in other countries. So you could still kind of get it through back channels. Even till today, you can still get... DVD copies or whatever, God, I don't even know if anybody's still trying to sell VHS films, (laughs) copied VHS films, but the the point is that it is still available, you know, through the alternative market, if you will. And it's still, in a strange manner, which we'll talk about later, it's kind of survived in a different way, you know, through certain attractions at Disney, um, certain other videos, uh, home media that will play you a clip of that movie because it has a very popular song in it. The zippity doo song is something that is still a staple of Disney. So while they tried to kind of not reference the entire movie, they at least kind of kept the song because it was a successful, popular, catchy tune. So I went through my boxes trying to dig it out and I found the, bo- I found the tape. I found the tape and... I sat down and watched it. It took me about three sittings to watch it because you also have to remember the movie came out in like, I think it was like 46, 45, 46, something like that. So off the bat, you got to understand that this is a different style of filmmaking that you're used to now. This is classic Disney. This is old, old school Disney. This is one of their earlier live action films. By then, Disney had already established itself. As a leader in children's animation. Snow White, 1937. Pinocchio, 1940. Fantasia, 1940. Dumbo, 1941. Bambi, 1942. You had other smaller films that are not as popular, but still considered part of the lineup. Saludos Amigos, 1943. The Three Caballeros, 1945. Make Mine Music, 1946. And then Song of the South. So if you're thinking about... The giant ones, not the kind of smaller ones. The Song of the South came after Bambi, more or less, because there were some smaller ones in between. Now, what makes this film a little different than most of the other ones, most of these big ones, is that they were using a combination of animation and live action. You know, that whole thing that I remember when we watched uh, during Who Framed Roger Rabbit that was amazing how they combine those two things and then you went back and you saw it being done 10 years before 20 years before 30 you know this is kind of where it started that ability to be able to blend those two together this movie gets a lot of credit for that i'm not sure exactly if this is the first time it was done period but as far as a general movie release you know that being able to combine those two things this was a big one for 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 the caliber of a movie that this was supposed to be Now, I'm not going to go too deep into the making of the film, but I will point out a few things. And the reason being this, I want to be able to analyze this movie at its finished product stage. In other words, somebody decided to make a movie. And again, when the sausage was being made, and we all know about, sometimes you don't want to know how the sausage is made. But when the sausage was being made, a lot of things were happening that could have been considered red flags as to potential issues that this film might have. But we have to deal right now with the end product. With that said, I'll throw a couple of things having to do with the making of the movie. The movie itself is based on a book. A book about children's stories, about animals and bear, you know, bears, rabbits and foxes. and Being told by Uncle Remus, who is supposed to be a fictional African-American character that's telling stories about the South. This was put together post-Civil War. And it tried to incorporate, you know, these mythical, mystical children's stories into a book of stories. Now, the movie is based on a couple of those stories. So, for example, I don't know, maybe half of the book or a third of the book Is those little cartoon stories animated stories that we see in the movie it has nothing to do with the live action live action is completely made up also made up from a different source from original material but the actual stories and those are very disney-ish kind of stories in the movie when you see these animated sequences they're very mainly (laughs) i don't want to (laughs) go i don't want to push it all the way but mainly typical disney however the setting Of where these stories are being told and the story that kind of holds and glues together these animated shorts in between is the part of the film that is most questionable the original book is very difficult to read at least to me it's old american let's call it black english because it is written in the manner that words were said back then by a specific sector of society. So again, I would recommend going online and trying to read a couple of excerpts from it because it's it's hard to understand what they're saying. But Disney took basically the gist of some of these stories and tried to turn them into a film. As this film is being made, from what I understand, one writer who was more of a let's say <laughs> conservative southern writer wrote it and there were a lot of things that were changed because it was a little too what could be even back then considered racist. The script was even submitted. I think the Hades code, which was the censors back then, and they even had to trim some words that were a little too offensive too. So then they brought in another writer to kind of help kind of bring the film back into a more of a less racist tone. And he... Apparently uh, encountered a lot of pushback in terms of not changing things, trying to clarify certain things in the film that are not clear and then being told not to do that. So, for example, let's say, for example, uh, talking about how this is a post-Civil War environment and working it into the script and having certain lines having to do with saying, hey, I'm not a slave anymore, I'm a free man, you know, that lines that make it more clear about the status of the people you're seeing. But for whatever reason, those lines being edited out. So there was, there was somewhat of a struggle between writers and between Disney as to how, how much to go one way and how much to go the other way. So there was some unusual things going on uh, while the film was made. The NAACP had issues with the film, even back then. So let's look at the outcome of the film. Let's look at the the, the structure or the the, the basic story. The basic story is about a, a boy that is brought to the country to go live there. And then at the last minute, his father decides he's going back to the city to work. He leaves his wife, son, with the grandma to be raised in a plantation. In the plantation he meets Uncle Remus, who's this grandfatherly, older black man who kind of takes on, forms an affection towards the boy because the boy is having trouble fitting in and, uh, you know, adjusting and somewhat being bullied by some of the local kids. So he tells them these stories, which brings us to Uncle Remus's book that we talked about earlier. And this is the character, Uncle Remus, you know, adapted from this f- fictional book into this fictional movie as a fictional character. And the thing about what makes this a Disney film is that when Uncle Remus goes into the stories of these animals, these bears and rabbits, etc., the film changes to animation, where you get all animation, or in certain instances, a combination of animation and live action. That was a technical achievement that was fantastic how they were able to blend those two together so again the movie has these sequences maybe three or four sequences where you bounce between live and then you go to animation the story's being told but anyway the story is the boy makes a friend and the friend gets bullied and and this and that and the and the mother asks uncle remus to stop hanging out with him because he's a bad influence and uncle remus is sad and he leaves and the little boy all of a sudden. ...sees Uncle Remus departing and he's upset and runs after him and tries to cross a field where there's a bull. The bull tramples the boy. The boy is, wakes up in bed and he's, people are wondering, oh, is he going to survive? Is he going to come too? And then his father shows up. Oh, hey, great. His father finally came back. But the boy's still not waking up. And then Uncle Remus sits next, oh, this poor boy, you know, he's my friend, blah, whatever... And he starts telling him another story as the kid's unconscious. And then as he's telling the stories, the kid starts waking up. And that's the happy ending. Everybody's friends again. The boy was more or less saved by Uncle Remus's story. Okay, fine. (laughs) That's the story. That's the story of the Song of the South. About these wonderful old-timey stories about animals and you know, naughty animals and good animals and how they interact and how one fights the other animal, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, the evil fox gets tricked and then the good guy rabbit eventually gets out. So, yeah, that's the the gist of the story. But the majority of the story itself, the majority of the movie really is live action. Is that somewhat schmaltzy kind of stuff that, you know, you watch it and you're like, oh my God, this is just somewhat tedious now granted it's part of the time it's part of the style it's part of that early disney live action style of these cute kids saying cute things and everybody's beautiful except the bad guys they have to kind of look ugly but this was their attempt also to portray black individuals african-americans and it's it's really rough if you think about it especially today i'd like to say that Back then, everybody was just okay with it, because we like to always say that. We like to say, well, it's a different time. Things were different back then. People thought differently. Things were normal. You know, everything was fine. But it's not, and it wasn't. Because, again, when you dig through the, little his- through the history of the making of the film, you knew already that there were problems with how these- this thing was written you already knew that there were some people saying, this is a little too racist. And some people saying, well, no, that's fine. It's just the way the world works. You know, you you get that, that push and pull that exists to this day. However, the needle of what is acceptable was way, way more on the racist side back then. You know, today that needle keeps moving more and more and more, you know, to the left, to the less racist side. But that's just what it was at the time. So the plantation is established Even though it's not told by lines in the film, this is a post-Civil War environment. And right off the bat, when they show you the Southerners, the plantation owners, if you will, and the workers, it could be pre-Civil War. The blacks are dressed practically like very poor people as compared to the rich Southerners. There is a huge distinction between these two. Even if they are not slaves, which they're not, they're. It looks like they barely got out of that mode. The way they speak to each other, the subservient manner in which they're there to serve, they're working the fields. Even the kids are working the fields. They have a young black kid in the house that kind of hangs out and plays with this kid that's this this white kid that's visiting, and it's very weird kind of like you could say well it's just two boys two little boys playing but it's almost like he's there and that's his job that he's been assigned the job of playing with the little white kid it's like it's his plaything. thing you the the, the word houseboy kind of uh flashes in your head it's like wow it almost feels like that's his job that's his assignment and yeah the people that are there to work are dressed differently they're wearing very poor clothing with rips on them you know The clothes have been used. it's, it's, It's very, very different. So they're already painting a picture of that. The majority of the time that we see any black people, they're either singing very happy or singing kind of spiritually. But there is like zero discontent whatsoever in their life. It's like this is the best thing that could happen to them. That's the impression you get from the way that they are acting, you never hear them complain about anything. There's no reference whatsoever to the Civil War at all. And you can kind of say, well, you can get away with this because it's a musical. Well, it's not really a musical. The musical numbers, and there's only like one or two, are only on certain animated sequences. But the way that people act in a musical where like you can throw a musical and just be the most sad subject and it's still happy because it's a musical no matter how serious the situation is a lot of times the stereotypical musical will make just happy anything will will make it happy this is kind of that feeling people are just happy everywhere they are they're happy they're happy people but you look at the conditions in which they're living it's as if the black people are living kind of like in the woods in shacks and the white people are living on a mansion and it's like you can't have that. It, it's, it doesn't make sense that you have this level of happiness <laughs> in such a distinct, different settings. But it's, again, the only way I can describe it is it's a musical kind of feel to it without having any songs. And yeah, there is that, like I mentioned, that, that there is no middle ground. The, your characters are either what used to be the master... Society and the slave society. There seems to be no middle ground, what today would be called middle class, where what most people kind of try to be in the middle of this whole thing. In this film, that doesn't exist. You're dealing with two extremes, and they are equally happy to be in that world. Now, you could say, yeah, well, that's part of the fictionalized romanticized version of the South, which I've, I've heard this before. I've heard that that argument of the well, you know slavery wasn't that bad really. people had it kind of good. they liked their work and that's the narrative of the you know the lost cause and and part of the excuse uh, that I've heard, especially here in the South. I mean, I'm in Florida. And, you know, you hear a little bit of this up north, but you really hear it more here. You know, the the myth, you know, the, the Southern myth of the result, the reason, not only the reason for the Civil War, the results of the Civil War, and the aftermath of the Civil War. And in this film, again, I, I don't know if it's done on purpose or because it's supposed to be a Disney film, it's supposed to have a happy slant to it. They really don't want to deal with really heavy, heavy themes but maybe inadvertently you end up romanticizing, you know, that post-Civil War era. From what I understand, things are not that happy. <laughs> we're still paying for the mistakes that were made, for the injustices that happened, even post-Civil War to this day. Now, I also mentioned that that most of this, what would be considered offensive material, happens in the live action section of the film. However, on the animated side, there is a sequence where the fox, who's trying to get the rabbit, you know, with his henchman bear, comes up with a trap, a way of possibly trapping the, the rabbit by creating what's called a tar baby. And I, I had to kind of look it up because I it's tar, the term tar baby is something that I've... It was kind of like, again, it's in the back of your mind. You've heard it somewhere, but you never really specified, you know, what exactly it means. But anyway, in the animated section of the film, he, I think he kind of dips a doll in tar and puts a stick through it and dresses it up, put fake eyes, a fake nose and a hat and stuff to kind of trap the rabbit to kind of set up a trap where the rabbit touches the tar baby and the tar gets in his hand and then he touches it again and gets on his other hand and next thing you know he's covered in tar and he's kind of trapped encased in this tar which then the fox and the bear are able to capture the rabbit and when i looked it up apparently the the term tar babies kind of started around this time around this film around this particular use of it and There are people that claim that the definition of it is just a situation, a sticky situation. Again, you put your finger on the tar and then you become encased in it. You can't get it off your finger. And a situation that gets worse and worse and worse, which ironically kind of could describe this entire film. But then I also find out that that was also a slur, a racial slur created around that time, which leads me to believe that maybe this was, a, again, an unintended consequence of this thing. It, it, just like, you know, these days, a racist group will, will adopt a term, and all of a sudden this term now becomes a racial slur. Well, this is what apparently happened back in the 40s around this time where the word tar baby was a slur for black people, for black children. I mean, there are so there there are many variations on it and some are more disgusting than others and probably more offensive than others. But the fact that now you have a term that moves forward in history with a so-called acceptable definition of it and an insulting racial definition. Offensive definition, and they kind of go forward in time, where even up to you know a number of years ago, I I, again I completely have forgotten about it. Mitt Romney had when he was running for president, he kind of used that term, and how there was a controversy broke out about why using that term, and it's like oh my god, this this term has you know pushed through history, and there are people that are still oblivious to the fact that there is a secondary meaning that is super offensive and they ignorantly choose to use it or sometimes a lot of these terms are used as dog whistles to kind of wink wink not only do you use it to make point a but wink wink you're also trying to make point b to the people that you're trying to court if you will politically i mean right now this current political situation is, is just incredible the the dog whistles are not whistles anymore they're bullhorns <laughs> not only the dogs are hearing the whistle everybody hears the whistle these days but yeah these terms kind of follow through and disney as a whole had after a while kind of distanced themselves from this film because even though the film was released many many times re-released successfully more or less it made you know it made money that i guess they expected or wanted it to make the film again on one hand had so many pre-filming problems having to do with the script and and the the potential of insulting black americans back then and throughout time this is the 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 1940s you got to be you got to remember this it's a still very segregated world country that you're living in this is pre-civil rights pre-60s you know, this is the era of of, of of you know, this is Jim Crow. This is uh, pre rights, and even the from what I understand, the the the, the premiere of the film, the, the the star of the film, the the lead character who plays Uncle Remus, James Baskett, was not able to attend the premiere of the film because the theater that they premiered did did not allow black people to go in. So that's how kind of crazy when you think about it, like, wow, that's so crazy <laughs> that, you know, you, you're, you're putting out a film that has black actors and even they cannot attend the film because of that, uh, for, for, for because of that particular theater and that particular state that we're still very heavily segregated. So it's really hard to tell the intent, you know, something tells me they had good intentions, but the execution was just more difficult than they probably realized. And uh, like I said, the film was released uh, a number of times. It was on um, home video. It, It made it to some international versions. But at a certain point, I think it was maybe back in the 80s after the last re-release, you know, theatrical re-release of the film, they kind of put it to bed. They kind of quieted the film down and kind of stopped showing it. Disney Parks still had, uh, at the time, and 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 even after the film was kind of put to bed, the um, Splash Mountain ride. Uh, the Splash Mountain ride, which from what I understand, you have your your California version and your Florida version, which that's the one I'm more familiar with. It's basically the the, the briar patch. It's the stories of uh, the rabbit, and the fox, and the bear. It's a a flume kind of ride if you're not familiar with, you know, you're on a log and you go through water, splashing everything. But when you're inside, um, you have all these animatronics recreating some of these misadventures, if you will, I don't remember their having a tar baby section inside, but you do have the traditional song from the movie, you know, the theme song of the movie, and the little animals are singing and fighting and playing and all kinds of stuff. But it's one of those weird things of it's like, you're like, well, what ride are we on? And what film is this? And it's like, well, I don't remember this film. The The, the song sounds familiar, but I can't, well, yeah, that's because that that's that film that got kind of quieted put on the shelf and they don't really seem to want to touch it anymore and I don't blame them. Don't know if this is the type of film that you can actually re-release with some kind of um, edited beginning and an edited ending to kind of explain the times because apparently that's what's happening with Gone with the Wind something happened with Gone with the Wind where I think HBO Max who is currently the streaming service that has the rights to show it, they pulled it after the The demonstrations from the Floyd uh, murder, you know, all these corporate entities are whether you believe them or not in terms of their being sensitive or it's a public relations, you know, preemptive strike, if you will, of trying to sound like they're caring, which I don't know. I mean, it's hard to kind of put your your finger on it. But they pulled uh, Gone with the Wind and they are going to apparently re-edit... Not the film, but they're going to add some kind of an opening explanation uh, about how this film, you know, is, is of its time and the depictions. Once again, not as blatantly fake <laughs> as something like Song of the South, but for it being a, a dramatic presentation, uh, how even Black people back then were portrayed in a different manner, in a non realistic manner. That whole, you know, happy people that slavery or no slavery, they're just happy to be around and everything is fine and they're enjoying their lives. You know, that kind of romanticized version of the South. That is partly of, I think, what they're going to try to explain. I don't know. I think it might also have some kind of a, maybe a small documentary at the end of the film after the credits or something to that effect. I'm not sure exactly how they're doing it, but they're going to provide some content, from what I understand, outside of the structure of the film so people can understand it and not just kind of like go what the hell were they just doing you know that one of those weird reactions that you get especially on this one this one you do get that because it is more of a children's film and more of a fantastical kind of like what you know that's like trying to make a musical about uh, the holocaust you know what i mean it's kind of like there's certain topics that you really cannot treat as a comedy or a musical or a children's story. I mean, don't get me wrong, sometimes they they can pull it off, but it's very rare that they can pull off something like this. So yeah, this is kind of one of those situations where it's like, this just probably wasn't a good idea. (laughs) You know, stick to what you know, and you know, Disney has a huge track record of non-controversial films, but this is definitely one of those films. So my recommendation would be to watch this film. Watch it because at least you know what you're talking about. And watch it to see if you can pick out without necessarily being told what are the things in this film that could potentially be offensive. Some of them might be offensive to you, whether you're black or not. You might find offensive. And then there's certain things that you would have to display empathy for other people, which is something that's a little difficult these days, you know, for our leaders to do, to kind of put yourself in the position or put, or, you know, wearing, you know, put yourself in. I keeps reminding me of that, the, the Peshmo song, Walking in My Shoes. Try to put yourself in the place of that individual and then being shown this and not be upset about it. It's like, good luck on that. <laughs> good luck trying that. But with that said, I still think that this particular film should be preserved and it should also be similarly to what they're going to do with Gone with the Wind. You should have it introduced and explained of what this is about and why there are certain things that are offensive. And whether you do it in the beginning of the film or you tease it in the beginning of the film, and then you explain it at the end of the film because it's a good opportunity for education. It's a good opportunity to show us that it is an example of... Well, it's historic, but at the same time, there's issues with this. Take a film like Birth of a Nation, historical, first-ever, gigantic, you know, blockbuster. I think it was the best picture of the year. The first Oscar went to this. And the movie is super, super racist. It's just ridiculous, you know. But because of its technical achievements, because of its historic time that it was made, it's there. But if you watch it, you're like, oh, my God, what the hell is this? So you do have these things where I believe rather than just hiding them or destroying them, I think it's the type of thing that needs to be explained. It needs to be brought into the modern era of whatever this modern era we're living in so that you can not just get rid of it, but explain it to people and, and to show them why is it that on the one hand, you know, like this film has this amazing, you know, combination of animation and live action sequences that for the time they were groundbreaking. But on the other hand, there are these very subtle or not so subtle racist elements to it. So, yeah, I think that's what should be done, at least with this, you know, with a film like this one. You can't just kind of show it there and say, this is it. You have to explain, you know, when things get a, l- a little too out there. Because if you don't explain it, you have to get rid of it. You have to. You just can't have it sitting there and potentially being a source of insult, you know, to people. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, <laughs> I want to talk about the film Do the Right Thing. What can you say about Do the Right Thing? I, I I brought this film up a number of years ago. And again, in a political manner, I didn't review this film as part of my films that I normally would review. I hadn't had a chance to watch it with a group of friends. It's a film that when it first came out, I was in college. And I really wasn't... When I was in college, I really wasn't up for trying to get into some kind of a political or social political bend. I knew the film existed. I knew the film was a racially charged subject. A friend of mine from from school, I remember, uh, his name was Zeke. I remember him talking about how he saw it and he said it was great. It was so, it's funny. It's hilarious. And then all of a sudden it gets super crazy serious. And, I was just like, you know what? I I just, I don't know. I don't, th- I don't think I want to get into this, this at this moment. And I didn't. I completely bypassed the film altogether. And many years later, as I started watching other films and starting t- tipping into uh, Spike Lee films, this one was always his big monster hit. This was what put him on the map. And... Eventually, I got around watching it, and yeah, it is It is a, It is exactly like my my, my friend said it was. It was he said, it's, it's hilarious. It's very funny. You have all these little stories that are taking place in this city that I was very familiar with. And then, yeah, all of a sudden, the film makes a left turn, and it is a crazy, you know, racial incident, race, riot, whatever you want to call it, example of things that have, have happened. In the past in New York and other areas and ironically enough a couple of years later it was almost kind of like what happened as a result of the Rodney King beating you know the riots after the acquittals and all that stuff so I remember yeah I remember watching the film and it was very entertaining it was very funny Uh, all these characters he created a super famous you know Actors nowadays, you know, a lot of, you know, Samuel Jackson's in it, and Giancarlo Esposito's in it. All of the, I mean, obviously Spike Lee's always. Uh, a lot of times, he's an actor in his own films. A lot of people: Danny Aiello, John Turturro, uh, the Italian pizza uh, store owner and his family. Uh, you know, it's it was just it's just great. And yeah, you get to that point in the film where you kind of see the perfect storm starts to brew. It's all kind of fun and games. There are little ripples of things that are happening. But then when the perfect storm aligns, when the planets align, which is kind of what's been happening here lately, you have a series of events that are aligning and aligning and aligning, and then, boom, somebody lights that spark and the fire start. And that's what happens in the movie. And, you know, I understood the movie at the time in terms of it being... Yes, that happened because of that, and this happened because of that, and then the, the, the fight happened because of that, the, the, the killing of this individual triggered this, and that triggers that. And what I'd never understood the first time I watched the movie was, why did the character of Mookie, which is Spike Lee's character, why did he put that garbage can through the window of the pizza store? Why wasn't it somebody else? And then at the end of the film... Why does he then come back and ask for his money after everything that happened? Those are two things that I've always found no answer for initially when when I um, watched the movies. And I really didn't. I mean, it wasn't like I I sat down with anybody else, uh, let's say uh, somebody who's black, and and tried to get them to explain it to me. No, I I, I didn't do that. I was just trying to figure this out on my own. And it's it's, it's been one of these uh, sticking points that always bothered me about it. And... Recently, you know, um with all the things that were happening and have been happening, the rioting and the protests and the killings and everything, you know, I figured, you know what? it's a good time to watch this film again. and I watched it with my son because he's a big movie nerd like myself, and he start you know he's curious about these other films that are exist out there, you know, once you start once you start kind of testing the waters outside of your safe zones, there are these other films out there that all of a sudden it's like, ooh, that's interesting. So this was a perfect time. And, you know, we watched the movie and I had a similar reaction. You know, I li- I liked it and I enjoyed it and it was funny. And the, there's some characters that are so funny. And there are certain messages, the way the movie is crafted and the way that he is just pouring out his entire, you know, social political believes into this film all this stuff is being assigned to different characters you have your very peaceful kind of let's make peace and do this calmly you know the mayor of the town and then you have a more in-your-face radio hakim he's he's kind of like an in-your-face kind of guy and you do see that dichotomy or that um juxtapositioning of two different thoughts political thoughts, social and political thoughts. You have your Martin Luther King and your Malcolm X kind of, you know, two groups that are going after the same goal, but they're using different means. The guy that's trying to sell the pictures that he's, it's a hilarious character and he's always, you know, has trouble speaking and he kind of starts the fire. It's like the little bit, some of the least expected people that you figure would be the catalyst or, or or the spark for these events end up being those characters, those people, the ones you would expect them to be, the loudest, most in-your-face kind of person is not the person that starts this whole thing. And even with Mookie's character, and a lot of this I had to kind of learn by going on YouTube videos and researching interviews with Spike Lee and listening to other reviewers and, 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 and you know, that kind of thing where he... Again, the the writer is always the best source of what is intended. What is the intent of the filmmaker or the writer? And that's one of the things that Spike Lee said on interviews is that the easy thing would have been to assign the violence or the you know, the breaking of the window, the lighting of the fire to the characters that are the, the the most perceived to be troublemakers. But he purposely had the other characters do it. The characters that are the ordinary people. The least likely to do it. Because that's kind of how life works sometimes. Uh, things don't go the way you expect them to go. They Events happen and things change. Not because of what you thought was going to change it. But some other thing happens. And this is exactly what's going on right now. You know, another you know, murdered, killed individual, in part because of his race, a story that normally would just kind of fall by the wayside and you move on to the next story, all of a sudden triggers this crazy, crazy, practically worldwide event, nationwide. I mean, a lot of times these things are very local. It affects that city. This thing affected everything. And it even went outside of the country. There were demonstrations, as you guys know, outside in, in different European countries and you know all parts of the world. It's, it's really crazy how this thing spread. So the other thing uh, that I remember that I always kind of was confused about in a similar fashion, uh, which is again, the, the character of Mookie, why does he throw that garbage can through the window and, and starts the, the burning down of the pizza store? And after the second time that I watched the movie, I was trying to figure it out because I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to justify and I'm trying to come up with a good reason, like a good, kind of good guy reason why he would do that. Why would your good character, the character that you're watching this movie through, who is the good guy of this film, there they really are not, I mean, there are bad guys, but everybody is very gray. There, there's no black and white, really, if you think about it. The cops go way overboard and result in killing somebody. Again, this is a typical, typical story. The kids are hotheads, but they're not criminals. They're not murderers. You know what I mean? They're, none of the characters are truly like completely 100% evil or 100% good. Mookie's character, he, he is the good guy, but he's a bit of a jerk. He, you know, he he's got a wife or a girlfriend with a kid and he's... You know he's working in a pizza store, and he, you know, he spends part of the day hanging out with his girlfriend. You know he's not a clean, you know, angel. He's not a a um, a white knight, if you will. <laughs> that's probably not the that's probably not the best term. <laughs> but you know he's a flawed character. So with that, still he is the character that we are trying to identify with, and. I couldn't wrap my head around, why is he doing that? Now, one idea that I had, which I, again, I'm not the first person to have it, because when I did a little research, I found out that a lot of people who I tried to justify it in that manner, and my way of justifying was, well, well, maybe the reason he threw that can through the window was to kind of diffuse the situation, because the crowd, after the killing of uh, Radio Hakim, and they took him away, the cops took him away, the town starts to go crazy, and they start... They are getting ready to explode. And the owner of the pizza store and his kids, it looks like they might be coming after them. And before they can come after them, because even the mayor is the guy who's trying to stop them from from violence, from, from getting out of control. And they kind of don't want to even listen to him. So right before they get a little too close to them, that's when... Mookie throws the garbage can and my rationale was like well maybe he's throwing the garbage can even though it is going to cause damage and and possible destruction what he's trying to do is he's trying to save them from taking a beating and possibly getting killed to kind of divert the attention because as soon as he does that I believe the mayor is able to kind of scoot them away and bring them off to another block or something to kind of get away from the, the riot that starts And then I found an interview from Spike Lee that said that, yeah, there are people who look at that decision and and they look at it to see if that's the justification for his actions. And he said it's not. He says that most black people that he's talked to don't need a reason given to that character for what he does. That is pent-up rage. That is something that has been brewing in him all his life, and apparently is brewing in most, according to Spike Lee, African Americans. And only white people, people that don't understand that issue or that pent-up rage, ask him about it because they don't understand why would a person do that. As a matter of fact, and again, I never noticed this until I I, I watched this review. There's a, a speech that Radio Hakim gives to Mookie, where, if you remember the scene, he's showing him these rings, the, the love and hate rings. And that's an homage to another apparently classic film with Robert Mitchum, where he's got love and hate tattooed on his, on his knuckles. But in this particular case, it's, it's their rings. And he talks about how you have... You know, it's a very um philosophical discussion and you're like, what the hell is he talking about? It but he's looking at the I think if I remember right, he's looking at the camera when he's talking to Mookie. So it's kinda like he's talking to the audience at that point, and he's showing them the rings. And he's talking about how you you know, man has these two sides, the love side and the hate side, and they're always kind of fighting with each other. And sometimes you have to Show love, but sometimes you have to show hate. You have to show the violent side and then the peaceful side. Which, again, brings you back to this entire message of the the King versus Malcolm X message. You have two identical goals trying to be reached by two different paths. One being the path of love and peace. And the other one, the path of hate and violence. You know, and how sometimes... You need to pick one or the other. Staying on one path your entire life doesn't always get you the results you're looking for. So what they pointed out was that the moment where Mookie picks up that garbage can and right before he throws it, he screams the word hate, which is like, oh, I never noticed that. I thought he was just screaming. Ah, you know, whatever. He was just screaming. But no. And that's what they're explaining to you is that he has seen both sides. And in that moment, after watching his friend killed by the police... He doesn't have love in his heart at that moment. At that moment, all he has is the hate. And the hate is what triggers him to do that, to throw that can through the window. It wasn't meant to be a diversion to save the owner or his friend, you know, his uh, the owner's kids or anything anything like that. It was just a natural expression of what he's feeling and all this pent-up rage is all coming out at that moment. So I found that That really deep, you know, like wow. Okay, I understand now. It makes more sense now. Uh, From from again, not so much from a reviewer or somebody else who's trying to critic, you know, film critic. Let's say, for example, somebody who's studying the film, but at least from the creator himself, the person that wrote him, his intent. There it is. So that is really cool, and I was able to at least. When I watched it with my son, I was then able to explain to him afterwards, because when I once I started doing this extra research, you know, because I said to him, how do you feel about this scene? Do you feel he did he did the right thing? Was that the right thing to do? Name a, The name of the film is do the right thing. And he was like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. But I was able to explain, you know, again, what the intent of the writer and director was. At the end of the film, I'm still a little fuzzy about... His choice of coming back the next day and asking for his money. And I didn't get a, a direct Spike Lee answer to that part. I, I wasn't able to find a, a good answer to that. I don't know if you want to kind of link it to some kind of reparation related answer in terms of when it's all said and done. Technically, he still owed the money, but you know, he even said the, the pizza. Uh, Danny Aiello even says to him, "You know, the money that I'm gonna that I owe you doesn't even begin to cover the broken glass and the damage that happened, you know, as a result of that." And 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 Mookie even says, "What are you worried about? You have insurance. Everything's gonna be. You're gonna, everything's gonna be paid for." So I get that, but I still don't see. You know what a set of balls he would have to come back and ask for that money. He gets his money, you know, begrudgingly, and as a point of just to humiliate him, he kind of throws the money at him anyway. And nothing is really resolved. By the end of the film, you know, nothing's resolved. We don't know what's going to happen next. We don't know what is the result of that character's death will result in. Mookie's out of a job. Now he's got to look for another job. So financially, he's got a couple of dollars in his pocket now, but still his life has not improved he's still kind of where he was when he started which again could be a representation of that situation that even after these killings nothing changes these things don't change it's a perpetual cycle that keeps happening at least at that time like i mentioned before a couple years later you have the la riots And 27 or so years later, now you have the George Floyd protests and riots. This is a very (laughs) timely film to watch at this time. On one hand, you have The Song of the South. And then on the other hand, you have Do the Right Thing. The last time I mentioned Do the Right Thing was right before the 2016 election. And I remember I did a show called Films to Watch... Before the election or something to that occur. And that was the, the point of the... I talked about, I don't know, four or five or six different films that deal with what I thought was coming. The possibility, the worst case scenarios of what this upcoming 2016 election could lead to. And wow, you know, looking back now, that election and those films are so relevant because so many of those things have happened. The different films that kind of warn you about bad mojo heading your way, those things kind of turned out that way. And just in general, you know, these are two films I strongly recommend for many different reasons, you know, from the reason of, of being, if you're a Disney fan, if you're children's films, and just curiosity, why is this film not around? What's the controversy surrounding this film? And you, know, you finally have to kind of put your foot down and say, all right, let's figure this out. What is the issue here? Why why is this film such a taboo? And boom, there it is. Now you got it. It's right in front of you. You, you can kind of see it, and um, you can analyze it for yourself. On the other hand, you take a film like Do the Right Thing, and again, a very prophetic film at that time. And now, like I said, 27, almost 30 years later, it is still a very prophetic film. So, if you guys have a chance, watch them. Have those conversations with your family, with your children. Don't go just on what somebody else told you, or even what I say. The point of all of these things, the, a lot of these shows that I do, is for you to then watch these things, if you haven't, and make up your own mind. Make up your own opinion. Don't just go on what, what you know, what the rumor is. But, yeah, these are very two interesting films. W-E-L-O-V-E 108 FM. All right I hope you guys enjoyed today's show as I usually remind you especially during this show that we try not to get too political or personal I mean not personal when it comes to uh, you know toys and stuff like that we get very personal but as far as society and politics you know we try not to do that we've done it a couple of times and you know we try to keep it light we'd like to Think this is the place that you could go to to kind of get away from the reality of what is happening outside your door. But there are times when things happen and they have to be addressed. You can't just kind of gloss over it. You can't live on your own bubble. You can't force your friends, you know, to don't talk about this. Just talk about happy things. Don't talk to me about politics. Don't talk to me about this. Don't talk to me about that. Don't talk about you know. Things that are affecting you personally. You can't just pretend to be in a happy mode all the time. You know, to put on those rose-colored glasses. Now, granted, I, I know people like that. I-, I know people that, given the chance or given the choice, they would love to live in a world wearing rose-colored glasses. A lot of it is generational. A lot of it is patriotical. You know, they were brought up a certain way. And... This is, I'm talking about usually older people uh, where because they were brought up at a certain time, they kind of voluntarily, because that's how they were brought up, give up the decision making to, let's say, the man in the family. This is something that has changed. You know, society has changed. This isn't the 50s anymore or the 40s or the 1800s or the 1700s. And yeah, there are people who like to just kind of like... Let's just all get along and be nice and not talk about those things. And just like, let's just be happy and, you know, don't worry, be happy. Very uh, appropriate song for other reasons. Or there are people that are not, you know, older individuals. There are people that just decide that that's how they're going to live their life. They create these boundaries or these guidelines or rules that in order for them to interact with other people... The rule is we don't talk about this, we just don't talk about that, and I understand why they don't want to talk about that because yes, it can bring in this kind of passion into their discussion that they don't want to deal with and you could say, well, maybe they don't want to deal with it because they don't want to risk fracturing the relationship, and that's true that's that's very true that's that's the like the the general rule of when you get together, don't talk about religion, don't talk about politics, you know because you don't want to have. You know Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Every time you uh, you have a get together, you don't want it to turn into an FU fest, as opposed to a geek fest. <laughs> if you're looking for FU fest, that's a completely different show. This is geek fest <laughs> rants, not FU rants. But yeah, there are times where this could be take just like anything else. You could take it a little bit too extreme, where you just decide to ignore everything. Well, we, we tried to ignore everything up to a certain point. And with this particular episode and what's going on outside the confines of my house, it's hard to ignore it. Now, granted, I live in an area where it is a, a bizarre Twilight Zone-ish example of what's happening. And I say that because... If you look at the news on the last couple of weeks, now things seem to be calming down a little bit now. Uh, but the the first four weeks were something else. Demonstrations, the burning down of police stations, you know, all that stuff that was happening. And from here, we only got to see it from a distance through TV. Because the area where I live is a is, is very unusual area. And, you know, it, it's funny how life brings you into certain things. And kind of like what I mentioned before when I was talking about Do the Right Thing, where you would have thought this is how these things would have happened. The hothead, the Giancarlo character, should have been the one that starts it all and instigates it all and lights that flame. But no, it ends up being someone else. Well, that's an example of how life just kind of goes in the direction that it goes. My politics are very liberal, as you can tell probably you know i'm uh, i'm definitely not middle of the road i'm left of the road uh, i voted for bernie this time around and the only reason this was the first time is because on the previous election i was an independent so i couldn't you know vote on the democratic ticket i had to wait for the presidential ticket to be up there and running because uh, at that point i would have had to make this you know a similar decision and i'm not sure exactly what i would have done at that point I don't know exactly if, you know, thinking back four years, I don't know if I was all in on the Bernie side, but I, but this time around, I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm more, more left of center than your average Democrat. And, and Bernie's platform really, you know, spoke to me. But hey, didn't happen. We move on. I've always been on the left side of things. My background is, uh, as you probably have, heard on previous episodes is I'm, not, I'm from Uruguay. I was born in Uruguay, but for all intents and purposes, I was raised here. I came here when I was nine. I couldn't, I don't think I have enough memories. I don't think I have enough events that I could count on both my hands that I could say, well, that was before. I mean, I, I don't know if it's normal not to have too many memories from when you were that young, certain things stick out my toys watching star Wars in Uruguay. Did I mention my toys? (laughs) Uh, Getting beat up by some hoods uh, once when I was very young. Uh, You know, there's certain events that just kind of stick out in your mind. Um, But even school, really, uh, my memories don't kick in until I was actually here. It's, it's. I guess that's what happens. I mean, I know there are people that claim they can remember everything that's happened to them since they were like, uh, you know, two years old. But I I don't know. I just that that's not how my brain works. But one thing that I remember I was telling somebody uh, right around the time of the 2016 election, and once Trump got into office, and in the place that I worked, there was only like one or two other people that were like-minded politically. Again, let me bring this back. Let me jump again to another tangent before I return to this one. When... I lost my job, oh my God, how long ago was that? Like eight years ago, I think it was? Holy moly, it was about eight years ago. Seven or eight years, something like that. When I was working at MSNBC, you know, this is after the Comcast takeover, one option that I always had, not a guaranteed option, but an exploratory option, was a friend of mine who works at Fox News, which was right across the street from MSNBC, and that is because MSNBC used to be in Jersey, then moved to New York City, 30 Rock. So, MDC and Fox were kind of across the street. There still are. He had always offered me the possibility, hey, if you want to try to come here, I can ask around, see if they need anybody, and that sort of thing. And I never took him up on it. And personally, <laughs> I would find that so troubling, uh, so painful to have to work, now don't get me wrong, I was plenty upset at the fact that I had lost my job at MSNBC, you know, a company or at least a product, forget the company, because companies are companies, but a, a product that is being put out that pretty much aligns with my political beliefs to a certain extent. To have to cross the street and walk into that building and start working for another company who puts out the opposite political, social point of view that I have, I think would have been so devastating. And I didn't do it. I took on some um, freelance jobs, didn't last too long, and don't get me wrong, I tried my darnest to find full-time work, it just wasn't working out at that time. The economy wasn't well. People didn't want, you know, somebody my age, you know, starting from scratch on a job. So. We reevaluated everything that was going on, job-wise, and we made the decision to head south. Why would we head south? It doesn't make much sense, other than the fact that that's where our family was. And by our family, I mean our parents. Both our parents were living in Florida, in different areas of Florida, but they were both there. So we said, you know what, if we're gonna start from scratch, Let's at least do it in a place where we're close to our parents. Parents can help us as they had offered to help us, as they had been helping us, you know, to get through this rough patch. And the other thing that made sense was our parents were getting to be of that age where sooner or later we would have to start taking trips to check on them and to help them with their aging related issues. So, you know how sometimes they say, you know, things happen for a reason. Well, maybe things happen for a reason. You know, you could say that. That that could, you know, it works. It's a nice little theory and yeah, you could say that. You know, we ended up in Florida because of that, because of a combination of, you know, losing a job and getting help from our parents and in return also helping our parents with their issues. Well, to make a long story short, the area where I ended up living now, is an area that is very, 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 very conservative. And it could somewhat be described as, and I've I've seen it described as the bubble. It is a very rural area, very poor, not much middle class, if any. Very, very... And again, I'm comparing it to what I was used to back up north. You know, salaries are... Very different, very, very different than than up north, at least, again, when I first came here. But in the midst of this very poor rural area, you have this city that it almost looks as if it was was airdropped, boom, with a little crystal bubble around it. Kind of like the book Under the Dome by Stephen King. It's like it's a whole other world. It's a high-end retirement community. Golf courses, manicured lawns, flowers, main street looking activity areas, recreation centers. I mean, this is high end stuff as far as I'm concerned. And it's something that attracts a lot of people. However, you have to also kind of figure out who is being attracted to and how does it function. If you look at the demographics, it is about 98 or 99% white, high income. 75 to 80 percent conservative, Republican leaning. So, ironically, like I mentioned before, you know, when life throws you a a (laughs) curveball, even though I'm not into sports, that's kind of what happened. I, on one hand, I I didn't want to start working for a company that was just going to be spouting, you know, conservative dogma at me, you know, eight hours a day while I was there. But on the other hand, I end up living near a community and working in it. More important, that's where I work, I work in there. And that's what I get all day long. The company has Fox News Radio (laughs) pumping into every building and rec center that they own as a normal thing. So you know where you're standing when you are here. It's not advertised on the brochure, but you know where you're at. So getting back to my original story of after the election I'm talking to to this one other employee and you know because we had been kind of following the election and going oh, This is this can't happen. It's impossible. This this guy's a joke. This guy can't do it. I mean he he's a he's a cartoon character He's a character. He He's not like a real person. He's playing a character And we kind of felt okay was gonna but then no hey guess what people said all right we had enough of Obama Let's move the other way and let's go the other way but really the other way the blowback, if you will, was tremendous in terms of, now granted, number-wise, it wasn't that big, but it was just bare enough to thread the needle with the electoral college to to make it through. So th- I remember the, the the last thing I told him was, well, you know what? If anything good comes out of this, you know, a lot of bad things can come out of this, but if anything good comes out of it, people will maybe get a taste, not a full-blown, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of a dictatorship, but a little taste of a dictatorship, a little taste of what it would be like to have a dictatorial fascist kind of feel, because I always said to myself, this country has never really experienced that. You know they got a little bit of a you know Nixon thing you know he was out there but I don't think that was enough I don't think Nixon was enough I mean granted there was a lot of resistance to Nixon but it kind of came and went and for all intents and purpose you know people my age you know they barely got to witness that but that was kind of like My joking way of saying, hey, let's see what happens. Let's hope it doesn't go this way, but at least something good could come out of it. People can understand and feel what it's like. And I bring my own bias into that because, again, where I came from, when it comes to dealing with police or military, my views are very different. Granted, I never witnessed this and I never experienced it firsthand, but that's where I came from. I came from an area where... Historically, there have been periods in history for my particular country that I was born where the military and the police are used together to subjugate not only the leaders, political enemies, but anybody that protests the government, anybody that disagrees with the government, anybody that, let's say, forms a union, you know, any of those traditional, you know, anti- capitalist anti-right-wing kind of things that's what the army and the police are used for so you fast forward to what's happening now you know I, i start to see those little bits and pieces i start to see how this president starts to do those things starts to manipulate data you know the no trust of science stoking the racial flames, all those fissures that have never healed over the last couple of hundred years. He just pours gasoline and lights it on fire. That's his bread and butter. Now, I understand that, you know, I keep telling people it's not him. He is just somebody who understands what wounds are easily infected, if you will. You know, him prodding all those racial issues and saying the things he does is because he's trying to appeal to a very specific percentage of people that not only voted him last time but he wants to really make sure that those people come back. It's just out there. So the result of everything that's happening right now, it's a shame that it would it, that it took, you know, all of this and all of these things that are happening a certain targeted group of people that have always had issues dealing with the police and the police targeting them. It's, it's out here, and there it is. And now you have video of it. And the video keeps popping up, and more stories keep coming out. And before uh, Floyd, we had the the story of the, the guy that was jogging, and two good old boys shot him because they thought he was a burglar or something. And that was just an insane story. Then you had the Floyd story. Then you had so many other stories. Now you have them reviewing older stories. A kid, the violin player who's... Had emotional issues, who is begging for his life, and then they shoot him up with some kind of tranquilizer and overdose him and kill him. And it's, I mean, it was just, these things are just, there's just so many of them coming through. At the same time, now you have all this Confederate iconography being taken down, the monuments and stuff like that. And right on cue, Trump using it as another wedge issue, presenting it as if, History is being erased and they're coming for you and those people are coming to get you at your house and all that this and that It's all out there. It is just all out there and the reason I'm telling you all this is because You should know, you know who the people that are doing the shows That you like are like I did a show a while back that man, did it stir up some? Controversy having to do with Star Wars fan groups and how they went political and kind of tipped their hat and showed everybody what they were about. And they created a whole storm uh, that took a while to kind of quiet down, but those groups are still around and you should, I think research or at least look into it sometimes. And it's something that you really don't do. We normally don't do that. Everything we enjoyed and we watch, we watch it and enjoy it period. There it is. However, If you really want to know what's behind a show, that should give you a little more information and it could help you to decide whether or not you want to continue watching the show. I always, every now and then, run into these Facebook situations where I kind of tell people, you know, if you don't like my feed, my personal feed I'm talking about, if you don't like my feed, you can feel free to block me or or even unfriend me. That's perfectly fine. But you can't really... Preach or expect people to only post or only talk about certain things on their feed. Granted, if you're a business, you want to keep it straight. So on my Geekfest Rants Facebook feed, it's all Geekfest Rants. You know, it's all entertainment and horror, sci fi, whatever. But on my personal feed, you're going to get. A lot of political stuff, and you also get the geek stuff, and you also get the personal stuff. You know, you get everything. One of the things I, that I was—I remember—I was telling somebody is uh, somebody who's very against showing your personal feelings on Facebook. I was explaining to him that Facebook is kind of like a big room, and in that room, you throw all your passions and whatever you're interested goes into this big room. And when you visit that room, you're going to see all of these different topics, all of these different passions. Real life, or when you go to work or associate with people, you know, that sort of thing, that's kind of like a house with many rooms in it. You show certain people which rooms you want to show them and you don't show them certain other rooms. So that's kind of like the difference. You can compartmentalize your feelings, but Facebook, they're all there and you get the whole package. And that's good and bad because then you can kind of... You know you you see somebody post something or say something and you're like wait a minute what did he mean by that is, is that a deal or, or it's very explicit that he said something and then you go and look at their profile and a lot of people are really not very savvy with Facebook and the privacy settings and then you look at all their posts and you're like oh, okay I see where this guy is at and it's like okay and I'm sure you know in my case just by me telling you about it that you know where I'm at I hope there's gonna be a lot of changes coming I hope racial inequality will diminish as a result of everything that's happening. I hope there is some really really serious, not just cosmetic but serious police reform in terms of diverting a lot of this money to more social causes, thereby not needing, you know, this militarization of certain areas for the police. You know, I don't think you need <laughs> Tanks and helicopters and, you know, like military grade equipment in a city. They used to have, like, if that was needed, it was there for that. But for it to become so, like, regular, just bring it out for the hell of it type of attitude, that's a whole different world. And again, I know your passions. I know that there are people, you know, that are sports and that's their entire life is sports and i know there are people that are police and their entire life is police everything has just one boom that's it everything centers around how you feel about the police and yeah that that happens you know you 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 attach yourself to whatever passion it is however i do know that from what i remember the issue of black life matters came up first that was a reaction to an unusually high percentage of deaths occurring at the hands of the police, focusing on black people. And I also know that when people start screaming, all lives matter, or blue lives matter, that was just a reactionary F you to black lives matter. So it's not one or the other, it's not, you know, you can't really go down the line and try to explain this because I don't know if people understand it, but they did not exist. That was never an issue before. It became an issue after somebody said, hey, we got a little problem here. This is disproportionately bad on one side. We need help to make this less disproportionate. And the response was, well, you know, it's everybody, not just you. Another great example I saw somebody say is, um, that's like you approaching your friend and saying, hey, you know, my mom just died and I, I feel really bad. And your friend turning around and saying, well, but you know, all moms will die. It's like, that's not the point. That is not the point. The point is that one person is hurting or one group is hurting for a very specific reason. And you're dismissing their pain and their hurt by generalizing it. That's the point of this whole thing. I'm glad it's changing in many different ways. And again, I'm not a sports person, but I, saw, I see that sports, you know, Colin Kaepernick's stance is finally reaching certain people that were not reachable before. Corporations are making adjustments. Monuments are coming down, even though, again, our government is trying to hang on to that confederacy because they want those confederate votes. But let's just hope this ends in a good way. And that come November, a lot of these things that people are fighting for come true. All right, I promise you, I'm off my soapbox, probably until the election. <laughs> and a very special thanks to IC Robots, episode 25 of the Stuck at Home show, for inspiring me into adding this editorial at the end of this particular episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you here soon at BeakFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Wee. It's gonna be a scorcher today. Universal Pictures presents a new film from Spike Lee. Good morning, Miss Mother Sister. Now, Mookie, don't work too hard today. The man says it's gonna be hot as the devil. I've been here 25 years, and Sal's famous pizzeria is here to stay. Trust me. Mookie, the last time I trusted you, we ended up with the sun. I know you can't stand it. You can't stand it. Hey, hey, Sal, I'm gonna the up on the wall here. You want brothers on the wall? Love. Get your own place. You can do what you want to do. what I tell you about that noise? what I tell you about that picture? You talk some brother talk to us. You the man. No, you the man. No, you the man. Are no, you the man. The first time you turn your back, boom. Right here, man, in the back. Chill. You like to sign a petition to boycott Sal's oh, famous pizzeria? Hear me, what you ought to do is boycott that no good barber that messed up your Here. head. And that's the double truth. Rule, fight the power, fight the power. You know, the deep power. down inside, I think we wish you were black. Who told you to step on my sneakers? Who told you to walk on my side of the block? Who told you to be in my neighborhood? I own this brownstone. Who told you to buy a brownstone on my block, in my neighborhood, on my side of the street? I can't even hear myself Think! think. From Spike Lee, director of School Days, and she's got to have it. Good people, please. If we don't stop this, we can stop it now. We're going to do something we going to regret for the rest of our lives. Doctor. Come on, what? What? Always do the right thing. That's it? That's it. I got it.